All right, you're now tuned in to the follow through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 217. Health and safety protocols have been affecting every NBA team. 47 players alone in December. What does that mean moving forward? The Lakers signed IT to a 10 day contract and about to make his debut against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Zion is out another four to six weeks. Should they just shut him down? And is Steph Curry in the GOAT conversation? We're going to let you know. It's the follow through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 217. We started last week's show with a uh, a little joke about the Chicago Bulls, them being down so many players due to COVID. And then within this past week, it's like the domino has fallen, Drew. Every single day, almost every hour on the hour, a new ticker comes out that more players are going down with health and safety protocols. There's been 63 players have entered COVID protocols this season and 47 in December. We're going to make it 48 because Anthony Edwards was just ruled out of tonight's game for health and safety protocols. This is a big deal, Drew. It's affecting a lot of different teams and we're going to get into Kyrie in a minute because this news just broke. So we're going to talk about that. But what do you think about all these all all these players and these teams going down? How is this going to affect, you know, the rest of the season moving forward? Yeah, it feels it feels a pretty strange, right? Like, I think we kind of thought that the the waves of this were over, right? Like that we were at least on the on the better side of things. Uh, and then, you know, globally with the new variants and, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it does seem like this is very real again now, like where, you know, vaccinated or not, you know, it, you're a lot of people are, are <laughs> coming down positive uh, in uh, just in the world. And then, of course, in the world of sports, I mean, the NFL is having to reschedule games and shuffle things up like they're moving games to Tuesday. And, uh, you know, the Chicago Bulls, the team that we brought up last week, kind of joking now has had they have games postponed because they're down they're down like nine players it's pretty insane uh but you know i think maybe the the only thing that might be the the beneficial part of this and it's weird and it's a small thing but it's guys getting a second chance in the league based on this right so you know we'll, we'll probably get into this later but the lakers are bringing it isaiah thomas back uh, we're going to sign him to a 10 day, but a lot of teams like uh, Langston Galloway just played for the Nets and the, the, the beast Stanley Johnson got called up to play for Chicago. So maybe, you know, the, maybe the nice part is we're actually going to see some of these players that like, you know, like Lance Stevenson, for instance, is on was was on the same exact team that Isaiah Thomas just got signed from, like that Gold Rush G League team. So I think maybe the, the nice part is that it's given these guys that might have thought that they were all the way out of the league an entry point back in, at least for a little bit. That's but a, it is, that's, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. And I, I don't know what else to say about it other than it, it just sucks right now. That's a very positive outlook on it, Drew. I look the other way on it. I find it, I mean, are we getting lazy? Are we getting lazy with this? This Are people not taking the, the precautions that they're supposed to take? I mean, as much as it's nice to, to have Lance Stevenson come and play a couple games, I'd rather see Zach Levine play, you know? And I just I don't know if the NBA needs to step in now and like 
really put the clamps down on this because this is going to affect people's playoff runs. A lot of these teams are doing really, really well. And this is a slight take at the NBA, but they might want to wish that they had the Clippers playing on, on Christmas day. If we're going to be the healthiest team out there, we've only had one issue with health and safety with, with, uh, with Ibaka, which we'll talk about later, but look, and then now the news came out about an hour and a half ago that Brooklyn's going to let Kyrie come and play these away games. And is this really the right time to be doing this right now is bringing, you know, if we're having this surge in COVID right now, we're going to bring the unvaccinated guy to come play uh, uh, away games. And look at the basketball fan of me, of course, I want to see Kyrie play. I want to see Kyrie and KD play. I do. But why weren't you just doing this the whole time? Right. It may, it makes really no sense to me, man. And I, I just don't know how this is going to work out. It is. It, it was pretty shocking, you know, that we, we wake up this morning and on the timeline is like, yo, Kyrie's going to be, you know, playing away games and practicing with the Nets all of a sudden. And it's like, it does seem, it seems counter to, uh, you know, what we would think would make the most sense, right? Uh, with the, with the spike in, in COVID positive tests, like if I'm Kyrie, I wouldn't want to expose myself to that but that's that's a decision for him and and the fact of the matter is every team pretty much at this point has had at least one or something along the lines of one or more uh you know in the case of Chicago and Charlotte and the Lakers have I think four or five guys out like it just it's hitting the league really hard and so I get it right they're looking for bodies they're just like yo uh do you want to bring in Lance Stevenson or should we just maybe go tap on Kyrie's shoulder and say hey how do you feel about playing in Indiana you know or something like that <laughs> and then and, and look I think maybe the uh potentially at least for the Nets the the big thing is, is that not only are they down with some some tests and some protocols but they also want to try and limit Kevin Durant's minutes. Uh, that's something that Steve Nash has come out and said. He goes, hey, like, I think KD's playing too many minutes. It's not It's not that he's not playing great. We know how good he is, and that's probably why it's very difficult to take him off the floor. And we know how important he is for the wins for the Nets. Like, they're not great with him off the floor because then it's just James Harden, and, and now a lot of their guys are on safety, health and safety protocol. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. It feels weird that they're, like, going back now to saying that this is fine when they came out in the beginning of the season and said, no, we don't want you as a part-time player. It does feel weird, but I also think it's like the circumstances kind of force the issue. If you want, I, I feel like they don't want to do this. I, I, like you said, you know, we don't want to have people going through health and safety protocols, but you know, if, if they have to lean on a guy that we know is a very good basketball player, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a resource for them to have kind of in their back pocket. But I, I am interested to see like, once this happens, what it what it will mean for the host like is this just something that they're going to do until they get over the hump and have all their players back that are that are on the roster and then he goes away again and doesn't have to participate uh you know part-time um, or is this something that maybe Kyrie get in, gets into and it really loves being back on the court and then maybe that changes his mind and his trajectory and he goes you know what fine if all I have to do is get one you know, one jab of the, of the needle in the arm, maybe maybe he'll do it, and then he'll try and be available for the rest of the season. I don't know, but it is interesting for sure. Yeah, and you were, you brought up the Lakers because you had a bunch of players out. THT's out. Malik Monk was out for a minute. He's been uh, – he was cleared, and now he's not cleared to play tonight. You guys did sign IT, which I love. Look, we've talked about IT for the past year and a half. We've seen him – um, you know, put up crazy numbers, whether it's in the Drew or in the G League or in the Summer League games. 
uh, says he's healthy. He's dunking. Like he just wants his chance. And I do believe that he deserves a chance. And I'm glad the Lakers are giving it to him because I actually, in my Clipper chat the other night was like, look, cause you know how my feelings about Bledsoe right now. And I went on a huge tyrant about Bledsoe. And then he comes out and has the best, best game of his season against Utah. But I'm like, yo, let's give it a run. Let's give him some burn that uh, we, we need some more offense, somebody that can get a bucket and he's a bucket getter, but you know, is this just going to be a Band-Aid for the Lakers for the next 10 days? Or is this something that you can see, you know, I mean, he's going to be a fan favorite no matter what. If it's not AK or AR-15 right now, it's going to be IT uh, because everybody loves Isaiah Thomas. And I think tonight would be a great game for him to go off. It's Minnesota. Like, uh, let's, let's see what you can do. He's probably going to get some minutes. But, you know, once everybody's cleared to come back and play, you still have Kendrick Nunn that wants to get minutes. You have Russell at the point. You have LeBron that plays point. I don't know where he's going to fit in moving forward with a healthy Laker squad. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he has, right? It's another opportunity for Isaiah Thomas, and and we've been crying out for that. I think a lot of people have. He certainly has. I mean, he doesn't understand why he's not on a squad because he knows how good he is. Uh, and I think that maybe the, you know, the, the compelling factor of this whole thing for the reason that the Lakers or other teams might have even been interested in him is, is he goes out, he's done with the Grand, Grand Rapids Golden in his debut. He drops 42 points on 16 of 30 shooting. Um, he has eight assists and six rebounds in a game that they ended up losing. His team lost, but he, he is playing alongside guys that are NBA hopefuls and, and, and one-time definite NBA players in Nick Stauskas and Lance Stevenson. Those guys started together on that team. So that's not a bad G that's League a good team, team, number that's one. That's a good squad. Uh, but just to give you an example of like who they were playing against, it's the like the, the Goga Bidatsi. Goga! The guy for Indiana. I think Goga, that's my guy. Yeah, he was. A, he dropped... He dropped 38 points on the on the team that they were playing against, and they actually won. It was the Fort Worth Mad Ants that he was playing for, uh, that a team also has uh, Justin Anderson on it. And my my guy Gabe York went off in this game. Former Arizona point guard, shooting guard, uh, Gabe York had 27 points and seven threes. So that performance from it, even though it was on a losing effort, goes all right. Like the Lakers can have some confidence in bringing this guy on because at least from everything that we're seeing athletically speaking, he is no longer hurt. He's no longer playing through injury, but the bigger picture that you brought up is what does this mean for the Lakers? And what does this mean for it moving forward? I think this is definitely a bandaid. I don't see a rally. I mean, we, we already have guys that are out and potentially maybe we, you know, try and keep him on the back burner just in case, you know, more COVID cases happen or more injuries happen. Uh, but like, I don't think he's going to be on the team for a very long amount of time, which is nice because at least for him, maybe maybe his little showcase here for the Lakers, maybe it's a two or three games, gets him enough interest from another NBA team that brings him on like the Clippers or like anybody that could potentially use a guard right now uh, in the league. But yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. And I, I think for sure he'll run around out there in the second unit tonight against Minnesota. And, and we know one thing about IT, he's not afraid to shoot. I expect him to get his shots up. Definitely. You know, I agree with you that he's got – he should definitely be using this time, whatever minutes he does get. Look, I was expecting a team to pick up IT that was like Houston or New Orleans or somebody that could just really give him an opportunity. A lot, they need a point guard. You know, I was not expecting a Lakers or a, 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 a Brooklyn or any of these top tier teams to be picking him up. But this is your time, IT. Use this time right now and maybe those two or three games. 
with the way the COVID is going, you might have opportunities for the rest of the year. And, you know, he's had a chip on his shoulder for a minute, as he should. And I th- just think he knows that this is his time. This is his last opportunity, probably his last opportunity. I don't see him going back to the G League this season. And the next season we're talking about, oh, IT is available. He's going to come up and, and, you know, and get some buckets for us. I think this is a great opportunity for him. I want him to do well. I do want him to do well and the Lakers lose, though. Is that okay for me to do that? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. He do- if he does well for us and we lose, then, then there's bigger problems, obviously. <laughs> All right. So your boy, your boy had a big shot the other night. Um, a pretty oh, big, a pre- pretty big moment for the hillbilly Kobe, aka uh, AR15, which I, I do like. I do like the nickname. You got a lot of nicknames on your squad. We got AR15, THTs, LBJs. You got you got all these do, uh, different names. Um, it was good to see him hit a game winner, though. What a game that was! And it's got to be such a great feeling. And then you go to the locker room and you're looking at. Braun and AD and Russ and Mello and Braun hands you the game ball. Like if that's not a welcome to the NBA rookie moment, that is the, that's the moment I would want. Oh, what an incredible moment. Yeah. I think it's his first big moment in what I truly believe is going to be a long career. I think this kid knows how to play the game of basketball. And if you watch him enough, you, you can see it. I mean, it doesn't take you very long. Yes. Sometimes, you know, he makes some poor decisions and yes, sometimes he looks a little bit athletically out of his league, but most of the time, man, He's playing hard defense. He's helping in the right spots. He's, you know, making the extra pass on offense. I mean, look, in this game, he had 15 points. All five shots came from three-point range. He was took he took six total shots and made five of them, and all of them were threes, and none of them were bigger than, the, obviously, the game winner at the end, who he needed to take the shot. You know Russ wanted to take that, though. Where, you, you know Russ wanted to take that. He was looking for it so oh. bad. Hey, but that but that's the level of trust I think that that this this Lakers team has. And like he, it wasn't like they just threw him in for that last play. He was playing for the majority of the game. He was playing in the majority of the fourth quarter and was really kind of a, a key cog in that win for us against a, a Dallas team, albeit that didn't have Luka Doncic, and we barely were able to stave off that team, which we should have handled, of course, much easier because we had no problems. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, all available, all playing. Uh, their normal amount of minutes in that game. And so it was disappointing for us to struggle that way. Um, but it was an unbelievable debut, uh, you know, roll out the red carpet for the young man, Hillbilly Kobe, Austin Reeves, AR-15, Caruso's little brother with the good hair uh, is the third nickname that oh. he has. I I just, I, the the moment there, I think is surreal for two reasons, right? He's, he's, hit a game winner in an NBA game and, and he went undrafted. So he probably at least very recently didn't necessarily think that that was going to be an op- option that he was going to have this soon into his career. And then number two, for it to be, you know, hit that game winner and then have all of the hall of famers just kind of shroud you and give you hugs and give you daps. And that's just, it's uh, pretty unbelievable, but I, it w- I would be remiss to say that without Wayne Ellington uh, in a very crucial moment, hitting an unbelievable corner three, it wouldn't have gotten to Austin Reeves opportunity that he knocked down. So big shout out to Austin Reeves, but also huge, huge shot and big moment uh, for Wayne Ellington as well for the Lakers and a, and a three game win streak clips. Watch that, out now. Is that what you got right now? Is it three games? Three game win streak with many. So are you still as hopeful as you were? Although the play hasn't been that great and the margin, you know, these these games that you should be winning they're way too close and and 
Um, but are you still as hopeful as you were two weeks ago in the trajectory of where your boys are going right now? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and I would say the, the thing that really has, I mean, outside of that fun moment there for Austin Reeves, LeBron is, is amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're able to watch LeBron play, it just blows me away. Uh, every time I know we say it over and over, we're like a fucking broken record with this, but it's just true. And, and I, that something that was strange to me was like after the, the Grizzlies lost a lot of these, uh, analytics on uh, guys on Twitter or what have you were posting LeBron James numbers like he's shooting the most threes ever in his career he's not doing as many post-ups and uh, shooting less free throws and all these things that would indicate that he's declining and falling off like we all expect him to right we've so been expecting old. it for seven years bro we've been <laughs> exactly. expecting it for and he's gotten nothing but better and well, no, but then he just reels off like several 30 point games, you know, and, and we're we I mean that the Grizzlies lost like just to just to really quick. That was bad. That was a really bad game. And that and that wasn't LeBron's fault. I don't think really for the most part, it was just a shitty performance from the Lakers. Right. But this three game win streak, we come around, we come off that that uh, Memphis loss and we absolutely for the first time. <laughs> this season just completely mopped the floor with Oklahoma City Thunder. So it was, a, but it was the first game, the whole like out of this entire year that we we truly held on to a lead. They got it back a little bit uh, coming down to the wire, but we we really blew out that team. It was a very comfortable win for the Lakers uh, against Oklahoma City. The same thing happens uh, against Orlando, and again they they closed the gap a little bit in the fourth. But both were good wins for us and and like comfortable performances. Uh, in our defense clips, that is the thing that has been driving me and most Lakers fans crazy. Rebounding and just being able to to give the effort that's necessary to play NBA-level defense. The defense is getting better. So, yes, I am optimistic. I mean, look, you, you have to admit, you know, even though these games that we've won in the, the win streak were Oklahoma City, Orlando, and Dallas without Luka – Things are starting to click. The, the Lakers are definitely improving as the season goes on, as I thought was going to happen. Um, and I hope that this continues. I mean, we have a tough run of games here coming up. We have Minnesota tonight, which is not that tough. And they're going to be without Ann Edwards. Uh, so that should be a win for who's us. Been, who's been then, on a tear, it, by the way. Anthony Edwards has been on a fucking tear. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very happy that he's not going to be able to play against the Lakers tonight. Um, and so, but after that game, we go in Chicago, uh, we got Phoenix, right? Like two games, very tough back to back. And I'm excited to see what we can do against those two teams, because that will be truly a test for us. Uh, and I think in big games and big moments like this, LeBron really shows up and I hope Anthony Davis shows up and I hope Russell Westbrook shows up. And I, I, I honestly think that the way that we're playing, you know, obviously given Chicago's lack of depth right now, it might not be <laughs> as big of a game as, as I'm thinking it might be, but uh, I think DeMar DeRozan should be back for that one. And I think they might have a couple guys back, but anyway, those next two games and certainly the game against Phoenix will be very important to see how we actually are doing and, and stacking up as we move forward. You think there's any validity to the to the Russ whispers on being on the trading block? I know a lot of people think it's going to happen. I do. I there's no chance in hell I think it happens. Um, I think people like to talk about it and have something to talk about. But the, what's the point of trading Russ right now? Two months in, like you you got him. What, what and what are you trading Russ for? You know, I, I I guess there has to be a scapegoat in every situation. Somebody to be to blame. And you know, Russell, whose numbers are still fine, but you know, I think. 
I'm not a Laker fan, but watching Laker games, I can see how he might frustrate you a little bit. Um, but do you think there's any validity to it? Like, are they going to explore anything? No, I don't think he's going to be moved this quickly. I think Rob Linka is too proud. Uh, I, I will not sit up here and say that he will not be traded 100% this year. That's definitely on the table. I think it should be on the table. But I honestly also think that he is not the major problem <laughs> any longer. I mean, when we started the season, it was a major fucking problem. It was. He is starting to fit in. Uh, he's letting LeBron have a lot of the ball. He's cutting. I, I mean, like legitimate clips. He's actually cutting to the basket, <laughs> which, and he's finding his little spots, you know, in the dunker spot and being able to, you know, get offensive rebounds and tap ins. And when he attacks the basket, yes, it drives me crazy because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen when he goes to the basket full speed. I don't know if he's going to just chuck it off the backboard or if it's going to go directly out of bounds. But look, those errors of his are dwindling. It is not nearly as bad as it was for the first couple of weeks of the season. It's improving. Um, so I'm okay with seeing this out. I would also, of course, be okay if we traded him and we got some good <laughs> stuff in return. I just don't think that's very likely right. for this year. I think that's something that we would explore probably next year if this goes sideways, like, like it kind of has to start. But again, you know, LeBron has only played in whatever, 15 games, I think this year, maybe even less than that. Now, uh, I still think there's a lot left to discover and uncover about this team, uh, especially with Nunn and Ariza that are supposedly close to, to returning. I think Nunn will be back in January. I think Ariza's already playing a little bit of uh, like three on three and stuff in, in the practice sessions. So I just think it's still too early. I think the news and the, and the more likely player to be traded at this point is probably Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, he's the one that is so young, has a lot of value. And we know that LeBron <laughs> doesn't always appreciate the young guns. And you can see the frustration when THT is out there making some poor decisions. Uh, you can see the frustration from everybody much more when he makes a bad decision than when Russ does. So I think that just gives you a, just a, a little insight into like, at least what the team uh, experience has been as a fan watching these, these Lakers. But I think Russ is here to stay for the season. So while you were stoked on your three-game win streak, since the last time we recorded, the Clips went on a four-game win streak without Paul George, without Nicholas Batum. Sergi Baca has been getting DNPs for the past – he hasn't started a game since December 1st, hasn't played the last four games. Um, Clippers have played extremely well in all those games. We took an L against Utah the other night, which was kind – again, I – after winning four, beating Portland and Boston and Orlando, and then a good one against Phoenix, although they didn't have Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton, we didn't have Paul George or whatnot. Phoenix was still winning ball games. They were, you know, they had won 18 of their last 20, if I'm not mistaken. And the Clippers came out and 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 they busted that ass. And a lot of it has to do with Luke Kennard. Look, this guy's turning into the player we've always want we've wanted him to be right like his if and you watch a lot of the clipper games you're seeing he's he's not hesitating one bit he's taking really good jumpers um hartenstein has been great he has literally pushed ibaka to the bench now look man i am a i, I i'm an ibaka guy i would love to have ibaka but I'm also a guy that likes to watch the bench and see reactions and see how players respond and surge is normally very involved in whatnot the past week and a half he's been non-engaging on the bench looks frustrated looks like he's pouting a lot and i don't know if you know he's been out they've said personal reasons uh and then you know then he had a couple dnps i think he's on the trading block i really do right now and that's just because of the way hartenstein and zubach are playing really well together and maybe we don't need that that third big man and if there is a market for surge 
we should be exploring it. It's concerning that he's not playing at all because I thought, you know, we've worked him back for the past six months to get him healthy. And he did have like one or two really good games as far as like, you know, nine, six and two and whatnot. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. Um, that's just my personal thought. I don't know any inside info if, if Serge is getting traded or whatnot. I also jinxed Brandon Boston Jr. the last time we <laughs> talked because he's had, he's had a rough week as well. But we got to see Bledsoe uh, had his best game of the year against Utah. I just think the play of Luke Kennard um, and Reggie, again, have, have just been so good, man. And when you're winning games without your stars, it just means so much more. And, I, you know, I think – it's fair the Clippers are in that 5-6 spot. I'm a little concerned – or they're in the 5 spot. I'm a little concerned with this elbow thing with Paul George. I'm also a, a big Ty Lu guy, and I think that after we won our first two games without him, he's like, you know, take, take another one off. Let's see if we can pull out another one. Oh, shit, let's get one more, right? We're probably going to take this L against Utah, take this one, you know, and then let's let's bring you back. If he sits out another game, he's he's marked questionable. Him and, and Nick Batum again, no Nick Batum though. This guy is extremely important to our offense and our defense. But we're seeing Justice Winslow get some more minutes, which I'm I'm finally you know happy with. I just think the play of Hartenstein and Kennard, and who would ever think at the beginning of the season that I would be saying that Hartenstein, aka the Hitman, and Kennard would be so important to us right now. But wh- what have you seen from the clips? It's difficult at this point to see Serge fitting into the lineup again because of the play of Hartenstein. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a very good positive for the, for the Clippers to have that kind of a problem. I also do think that there is a chance that Hartenstein and Ibaka can play together in a second unit. But right now, there's no reason to move Zub off the starting lineup. I think he's doing just fine. Um, he's, you know, he's not amazing, uh, but he's, he's good. I think Zubak is a good player. He can get block shots. He can rebound. He's a decent free throw shooter. He can finish at the rim. Yes. Sometimes it's frustrating. And yes, sometimes he's a, a little bit of a complainer, you know, that it's, it's in the same ilk of all of his European brethren. I mean, I don't know what it is over there, but when you come over, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a complaining all the time. Every time something happens, he's ha- hands are in the air. Like he doesn't know how, you know, he's not getting a foul or whatever, but uh, Hardenstein also a European player from Germany. Germany doesn't do any of that that's the one thing he did not have from the European brethren that kid just plays hard constantly all the goddamn time and for that reason I still think that there is there's something there you know potentially if the Clippers are facing a team that goes big that you can have Serge and Hardenstein or Serge and Zubak on the floor at the same time but Serge, his declining athleticism is definitely an issue and his durability flat out is an issue. So I, I, I agree with the fact that it's probably time for you to start shopping and seeing if anyone is interested. I don't know who would be interested in him, uh, but I also think the same could go for Eric Bledsoe, who did have his best game of the season very recently and was knocking everything down. It was pretty incredible to watch. And maybe that will kickstart him a little bit. And, and, you know, that's the hope, at least for the Clippers, is that Bledsoe can kind of get out of that funk. Every player goes through slumps from time to time. And sometimes it, it takes a long time for them to come out of them. I suppose the, the counter to that would be that Bledsoe is like consistently in a, spl- in a slump and has been for like three years. But I don't know that to be true. I think he's definitely better uh, than he has showed for the Clippers thus far this season. Um, but it it did draw my attention enough for me to go to the trade machine clips. Oh, and, the Drew's trade I, machine. What do you got? I know. <laughs> I... I was unable to find a lot of suitors for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, he is making $18 million this year, but 
something that potentially caught my attention. And I don't know if it would work, but it works right now. And it's a play, not necessarily for the immediacy, but it's a play for the long term. And it involves Eric Bledsoe being traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Colin Sexton. Give me that. Now, Colin Sexton. Right. But the problem is Colin Sexton is out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, So that's why I'm saying it's a long play. He also is an unrestricted free agent, I believe, this coming summer. So I don't necessarily think it's a trade that we'll see happen at all this season. Um, it's most likely that he'll just go to unrestricted free agency and he'll get an offer from somebody because uh, he is good enough to be on an NBA floor and deserves to be on, on an NBA floor. And it may not be with the Cavs any longer because uh, Garland is a fantastic player. And it just doesn't seem like the Cavs need Sexton all that much, even though I would still, if I was the Cavs, I'd still try and bring it back. But if you wanted to explore that option, you would, you would give up Eric Bledsoe. They would give you uh, Sexton, and you'd probably they, they would actually probably need to sweeten the deal and give you something else for the money to work, which, again, is probably not an ideal situation. But if the Cavs are in a win-now kind of mentality where they have the best team that they've had in several years going, and they could probably use some depth at guard. They don't have a lot of depth at guard, and, and especially a guy like Bledsoe who could come off the bench for them and defend at a high level when Rubio and Garland are not great defenders. Uh, I think there's an option there. What would you, I'm assuming you would say yes to that, right? No, look, man, I know I, 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 I say things about Bledsoe. There are a lot of things I like about Bledsoe. There are just too many times during the game where I say like, it looks like he doesn't want to be playing basketball, lazy with the rock. Um, it's literally the same move to get to the rim. We're either going to the rim to get a foul or I'm going to jack a three, um, which I've seen in the past few games has been a lot smoother, a lot better. No hesitation um, when he's taking it. And when he shoots like that, it's good. I just need more scoring from bled. That's what I need. I don't want to see, you know, 29 minutes on the floor and you have six points. Like we need more from, from you in that, in that second unit. Now to backtrack a second, The other thing the Clippers need to think about regarding Ibaka is like with all the COVID stuff going down, if we do lose a big for, for if we lose Zub or we lose Isaiah, this is why the team we've said this for a year and a half, the teams that stay the healthiest are going to be, are going to thrive, right? If as long as you don't have players going out, the Clippers have been pretty good with that. Maybe it's our team protocol. Maybe everybody's buying in and saying, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to go to the club tonight or I'm not going to do this or whatever. Um, we got to be mindful of that. And I think they have been. And if if history repeats itself, I just curse the Clippers and they're going to have seven players go down <laughs> with something. So uh, I'm knocking on wood. You guys can't see it. Um, if there was something out there for Bledsoe that would be better, I'm, then yes, we have to explore it. I, I do believe in Eric Bledsoe. I just want to see more from Bledsoe. And I, you know, there's just times, man, where that second unit, it's it's Hartenstein, Winslow, Mann, Bledsoe, and like Brandon Boston Jr. And like, okay, well, who's gonna get the bucket right now? Who's gonna who is gonna get the bucket? Things are so much easier uh when Paul George is in the game. And again, bringing up Kawhi, everybody's game. Bledsoe's game would probably be phenomenal if he's playing with, with Kawhi and Paul George at some point, like who knows, but anyways, I'm proud of the boys right now. I think they're doing really well. 
to answer your question, no, I would not trade Bledsoe for an ACL-ridden Sexton right now, especially going into free agency. I also told you, Drew, I wanted Jordan Clarkson's, not Kellen, uh, Colin Sexton. Give me you give me Jordan Clarkson and we are winning a championship, man. I, <laughs> hey, how good is he, man? Just watching. Look, the Utah Jazz in general. We were me and you were texting back and forth that night. They are the, they are the number one in every offensive category in the NBA right now, and it shows. They have everything that you need. Yet another team like Phoenix and, and Golden State that we've you know beaten with a dead horse talking about them. But we there are Utah fans that probably listen to us, and they're just very good. We just don't like Utah. That's why. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, I don't like Hassan Whiteside either, but shit, when, when Rudy goes out of the game and you get another seven-footer in there, okay, damn. Joe Ingles getting buckets. You got Don- Donovan Mitchell who's just – so I, I think he's underrated. Don't you think a little bit, Drew? Like he he's really nice. He didn't have a great game against the Clippers, but the Jordan Clarkson thing, man, like, God damn, that guy is good. He is so freaking good. And I would want him on my team, him or Malcolm Brogdon. Can we make it happen? Bledsoe from Jordan straight up. But give me that one. I think the best thing that could possibly happen in that regard is that Bledsoe just starts taking off. And then his trade value is actually worthy of potentially, you know, making those players available via trade. The Jazz are not going to let go of Clarkson. I know. It's a pipe Indiana dream, for all intents and purposes is not going to let go of Brogdon. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. But both of those guys are good. And the Jazz are very good. I mean, the Utah Jazz are a very good team. I mean, I had them projected to be the number one seed overall this year because we know they're just they're good, and that's just the bottom line. And we all are just waiting for them to put it together in the postseason, which is why I think all of us are just like, it's yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you're the three seed. You got a good record. You're the number one team. Off, uh, fine, that's fine. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no nothing new here <laughs> until we get to the playoffs, and you actually got you guys actually get it done. Uh, for the first time with this group. But yes, Donovan Mitchell is very impressive. I think Rudy Gay yeah. has uh, brought something to the table there, and I thought that was a very nice pickup for them. Uh, I still think that they're going to have issues when they have to go small, and we'll see whether or not those issues are resolved this year with this squad. I don't think that's the case, but we'll see. And and all of this is just going to be the same comment that we have about the Jazz from now until playoffs start is going to be let's see it in the playoffs. And that's where all of us are outside of Utah jazz fans. I feel bad for them, but at the same time, I mean, you look yourself in the mirror, Utah jazz fans, you got to go. Yeah, they're probably right. Like we haven't really done anything in the playoffs really in the last 20 seasons. So it would be good for them to prove it to themselves. I think most importantly than to prove it to everybody else. Rudy Gay, 2013 Rudy Gay is now my 2021 Jordan Clarkson. I wanted Rudy Gay on the Clippers, Memphis Rudy Gay, so bad. I thought he would have been just perfect for us with CP and Blake. I wanted him so bad, but nah, we're going to go for an old Danny Granger. We're going to try to bring in freaking Karan Butler. Karan was great for us. No hate on Karan. Anyways, let's move forward. There was a record broken that we had talked about last week. Everybody already knows it's old news, but Steph broke the record in true epic fashion in the garden uh, on his third three-point shot of the game. I mean, his first one was wet, hit it on the third one. Ray was in attendance. Reggie was in attendance. Um, I think the Madison Square Garden gave him uh, the the love that he deserved. I'm glad they stopped the game. I'm glad he gave the ball to Dell, who was with three baddies sitting in the stands while mom's on the other end. Uh, with her crew, Dell came flossed out. Dell with the Gucci belt tucked in, chain on, looking fly with three three little little cookies with him. Um, big night for Steph Curry. Uh, what'd you think of it? I think it was a huge relief 
uh, is the way that I took this is like not only just for Steph, but for the entire Warriors team that this is now over. It's very well deserving. And we knew it was just a matter of time. Uh, but you could see I it's weird, man. I think it was weighing down Steph and the entire Warriors. Everyone wanted it so badly for him. And, and it's not a negative thing that I'm bringing up here, but you could just see it like in the in the loss that they took to the Sixers. It was not good. And, you know, and everyone was just like, all right, let's let's see if we can feed Steph. Let's feed Steph to the point where people are passing up on shots where they shouldn't be passing up in order to try and get Steph another look at three. Um, so I think it was very important for that record to be achieved. And then now they can just move on. Right. So now every shot he takes is another record, which is awesome. But then it becomes a part of the, what normally is happening in their in their organization, in their team game in and game out, which is Steph being great. And this Warriors team still winning. I mean, outside of that uh, 76ers loss, the other two games were still a struggle. Like, you know, that 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 Knicks game was not pretty. It, matter of fact, it was a very ugly game uh, outside of the first quarter. And it was a very weird atmosphere in that building after he broke the record. Everyone was like, oh, this is it's happening now. And that's everyone was waiting for it. There was like literally a buzz in the entire arena. And then it happened. And then it was like, oh, shit, we got three and a half quarters left of this game <laughs> in a game in which it didn't really look like either team was super interested in winning. Uh, but the Warriors end up pulling it out. Um, and it was a fun fourth quarter. Julius Randle started hitting some shots in the fourth. But, that you know, that Indiana game that they had, Steph was a little bit off uh, to start. And it was just a really weird game. But they still pulled it off. So, you know, I'm excited for Steph. It's well-deserved. Uh, it's something that, you know, I think when we look back on that moment, not just him hitting the three and breaking the record, but when we look on look back on Steph Curry's career, it will be one of those outlying type of careers that I don't think we're going to see that often. Uh, you know, and there's been a lot of, at least from what I'm hearing, there's been a lot of talk about, Oh, you know, because of the new wave of players and the new way of playing due to analytics and how many threes are being taken, that this record from Steph will not last very long. I'm calling bullshit on that. I don't think it's going to be broken very quickly simply because Steph is not nearly done playing basketball he's he's going to be playing for several more years and you know maybe he's not at the same exact level that he is now in three years um but the bottom line is he's not he's not slowing down anytime soon i don't think there's a player currently in the nba who is going to break steph curry's record and outside of like maybe james harden uh i don't think there's a player that's going to break ray allen's record that's currently playing in the NBA. Uh, and I did a little bit of a deep dive on some numbers here just to just to kind of put into perspective exactly what Steph has done. I hope your First numbers all, are my I have a lot of numbers too, Drew. So I hope your numbers aren't my numbers. I don't I don't think they are. We'll find out, I guess. All right. Just to give you just to give you like a basis of this, Steph Curry is averaging for his entire career 3.8 made three pointers per game, which is tremendous. And it's I, from what I was able to do the research on it, no one is even really close except for Duncan Robinson, who's averaging like 3.2 made three-pointers a game. Uh, so with that in mind, the next player to break Ray Allen's record would have to average three threes a game for 991 games just to break Ray Allen's record. And that would take roughly 12 seasons in order to do that. So 12 seasons of regular NBA, regular seasons of NBA basketball, 82 games, playing all of them, assuming that 
start to finish, three, three threes a game, it's tremendous. It is absolutely tremendous. And if you average 2.5, which is what James Harden, for instance, is averaging, James Harden for his career averages 2.5 threes a game, uh, it would take 1,190 games to break Ray Allen's record. So Steph has done this in 789 games. If Steph plays the same amount of games that Ray Allen did in 1,300, he will reach over 4,000 three-pointers made if he averages three threes a game, which is, again, he's averaging 3.8. So if he comes down like we probably expect in the latter years of his career, down to three or even 2.5, and, and you know he's struggling a little bit in comparison to those numbers, he's still going to be probably at least 1,000 to, to 1,100 or 1,200 more threes than Ray Allen. Um, and something that I did a little bit further to just kind of inspect whether or not this is actually something that I should be saying out loud. Trey Young and Buddy Heald are two guys that I track because they're two of the best three-point shooters, quote unquote, that we think are in the NBA. Trey Young is only averaging 2.5 threes a game. He has 574 made threes thus far in his career. It's going to take him another 960 games at this rate to break Ray Allen's record or on another 11 seasons, another 11 seasons for Trey to break Ray Allen's record. And the, the one that's, I think the, probably the most plausible out of all of these players that I looked up is Buddy Heald because he is on track to shoot and make a lot of threes. He's still relatively young, uh, but in order for Buddy to break Ray Allen's record, he needs to average three threes a game, which he is doing for the next seven seasons. And we don't know necessarily if Buddy Heald is going to be able to do that because he's still on a shitty Kings team and he's a role player that doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time like Steph Curry does. So just to put that all into a giant perspective bubble, Steph Curry is amazing. He deserves the record. He's going to keep going for a long time. I don't think a player – I don't even think a player in college is going to – that. that's alive right now. That's going to go in the NBA is going to break his record. Um, and for the last three seasons, he's averaged five three-pointers made per year. So you, there's a chance that this goes up and that he s demolishes this record and reaches 4,500 threes for his career, maybe even 5,000. It's, it's tremendous, and I just love the kid. Yeah, good good dive, Drew. Really good numbers dive, because I'm about to throw out more. I hope people have a, have a, a pad of paper around them. Um, <laughs> but really quick, that, that's crazy that – his number is 3.8 made threes a game. When Reggie was playing throughout his career, he literally averaged taking four threes a game. Like he was only allowed to take or taking four threes a game. Like it's, it's definitely the, the, the amount of threes that are being taken, especially by, you know, Steph Curry and every, every NBA team right now, like when you're jacking 13, 14 threes a game, you're going to get three or four or five or seven or whatever it is. When it's all said and done, you're, completely correct drew there will be nobody that's going to touch this record maybe not in our lifetime it is a lot of threes but the way the nba is going who knows maybe maybe there is a player that'll be jacking you know five a game at some point but you have to have longevity and whatnot but i i think it's a record that we're not going to see broken for a long time now moving on from that you know i'm not a big fan of talking goat stuff right 
I don't like talking goat stuff because it's such a broad spectrum here. And it's funny because on Twitter and on Reddit and even on, on, you know, social media and whatnot, it's after he broke the record, so many people were like, Steph goat, Steph goat, Steph's up there in the conversation for goat, even on our, on our group chat that, you know, we're on me, you, a few of our friends, one of our friends, Matt said, you know, what will it take? For and I know Matt listens to us. Shout out to you, Matt. What will it take for Steph to be considered or even in the conversation to be a goat? Right. And look, if you want to say Steph Curry is the great is the goat shooter of all time, I have absolutely no argument for you. One thousand percent. He is the he is the greatest shooter of all time. Is Steph Curry one of the 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 five most influential game changing players that we've seen in our lifetime? Yeah, probably Michael, AI, Shaq, Steph, and Wilt, if you want to go farther back than that. I'm perfectly fine with saying that. But as far as the greatest basketball player of all time, I don't see that even being in the conversation. I went back to look, and I already know you know the answer to this, but if you're going to be the best basketball player of all time, you at least have to be in top 10 scoring, right? Top 10 all-time scoring. Steph is 60th right now, right? And so which is crazy. That's it's hard to believe that he's that far back. It, it is, but I deep dove because Matt, our friend, brought up, well, what if he, you know, ended up being third all time in scoring? And the guy that holds that is is the king, King James, who should be in the conversation. If we're gonna have any talk about GOAT, you have it has to be LeBron, you know, Mike, Kareem, if, Will, whatever you want to say, Shaq, Kobe. I'm cool with we can argue all that, but Steph's not in that. So I looked to see, like you did, what it would take for Steph Curry to become third all-time in scoring, right? So LeBron is third at 35,811 points. Follow me on this, Drew. And still going. And still going. And, and again, LeBron, this is a, if LeBron retired today, doesn't play another game, Steph continues to play. Mind you, Steph is 33, right? So it was not much younger than, than LeBron. He's three years younger than exactly. LeBron, right? People don't, people don't necessarily think that. No, they look just, a lot. They look, the gap looks a lot wider. Don't let, yeah, don't let the baby face fool you. Steph is 33, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. So LeBron at third, 35,811 points, right? Steph Curry is at 19,159 points. There's a differential of 16,652 points. If LeBron retired today, Steph would have to average 30 points a game for 82 games a season, which is 2,460 points. That's 30 points a game, 82 games a season. It would take him 6.7 seasons at 30 points a game just to get to where LeBron's at. Not going to happen. So then I'm looking at, okay, well, what about top 10? Top 10, the 10th is Moses Malone at 27,409. Now, could Steph get there? Maybe. He's at 19,000. He can get there, right? But Moses played 1,329 games. The interesting one to me was Jerry West is 22nd at 25,192. He only played nine, 932 games. And this is, you know, in a shortened season, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, KD's 24th all-time. Again, let's put this in, in reference. Steph is 60th, the greatest shooter of all time that's put up some crazy-ass numbers, is 60th all-time. Russ is 33rd all-time scoring with 22,000. So <laughs> anyways, I just think people need to chill with the GOAT talk. I get it if it's it, – and again, this, this goes to show LeBron so much love. Like, look, bro, 
35,000 fucking points. And he'll probably, when it's all said and done, get to Kareem or, you know, he's going to beat Carl Malone at some point. I mean, if you include playoffs and and all that shit, he's getting 60,000 minutes. Unbelievable. But I don't think Steph Curry should be anywhere near like the greatest basketball player of all time talk. He is definitely in a league of his own when it comes to shooting and the 2000s of basketball and and making the three-point shot what it is today. Um, And again, the fact that the shots that he makes and does and practices – at repetition somebody asked do you think steph curry has shot a million three-pointers in his life in his life and i'm like you know what yeah i do i think he's taken a million yeah i think he's taken a million threes and you know you know why you could tell tell that he's taken a million threes drew why is that because he's steph curry and he shoots like he does right now right yeah so anyways that's just my take on what what it would take for Steph Curry to even be in the conversation of being the greatest basketball player of all time. And you can hate me all you want. I love Steph Curry. I'm sorry if that hurts Golden State Warriors fan fans' feelings and whatnot, but look at those numbers. It it is. And when when you do a deep dive, you you just have to go back to those first like three or four seasons of Steph's career and you go, that's really where the time was lost for him, right? If he came out the gate like KD averaging 20 and then just progressed on that moving forward, then he would have really had a shot at this. And I think, you know, injuries are something that we, we, they're, they're long in the rearview mirror of Steph Curry's career, but that's really what plagued him for those first couple seasons. And then the second part, uh, outside of everything that you just listed, which I think is very accurate and spot on, defense, bro. Yes. yes. In order for you to be, in order for you to be the greatest player of all time, it's a two-way sport. Mm-hmm. And for me, you have to be at least pretty fucking good on defense. You know, uh, Kevin Durant is not necessarily a defensive stopper, but is a very good defensive player. LeBron James, in his own right, very good defensive player. Again, you know, he's not necessarily going to lock down James Harden, LeBron, but at the same time, he's a better defensive player than Steph, and I think most people would agree with that. So when it comes to the greatest of all time, that has to include all aspects of the game. Now, offensively, I don't know. I I would say that he could be in the conversation for the best offensive player that we have ever seen. The arsenal of things that he has at his disposal, the ability to not just be able to shoot off the catch. I mean, this is this, this was the quote that every fucking every reporter, every sports center game analyst was saying. It's like he can he can do it off the catch. He could do it off the pin down. He can do it <laughs> off the dribble. And all that shit is true. It's very true. He's the best free throw shooter that the league has ever seen. The best three point shooter the league has ever seen. And I think that his skill set offensively is tremendous, potentially the best handles we've ever seen in the NBA. But it's the second portion of the game that's really fucking important. <laughs> and it's being able to play defense. And, and that's just not his strength. And it never will be. And that's probably due to his size. And it probably is probably also due to the fact that he does put in so much effort on offense, having to move the way that he has to move and constantly running. Uh, and so, yeah, I just he's not I, to me. He, he may be, I don't know, maybe cracking the top 10 of all time just because he's so good offensively. But, you know, I still think like I would take Kobe over him. I would take LeBron over him, uh, Kareem for sure. Like, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of guys that I would take. And and, and Kevin Durant is definitely one of them as well. I got to shout out our boy Ease in the Breeze who hit me up in the DMs. We were talking the other night and he quoted Undercover Brother. I don't know if anybody's seen this movie. Classic. He, yeah. Undercover Brother. The quote was uh, the NBA created the three point line. So so white boys had a chance. <laughs> That is a that is a very real quote from Undercover Brother. <laughs> I, I I love it, man. Um, 
yeah, shout out to Steph. It's been, it's been, you know, one of the, it's fun to watch guys throughout their whole career. I feel like I was watching, it was yesterday. I'm watching it at Davidson do that crazy ass run. And then to see him, you know, his rookie year talking to, to Reggie and telling him, I want to break this record and, and to see him follow all the way through a shout out to the follow through podcast uh, plug. Um, and actually get that it's it's pretty amazing and i love seeing uh, it couldn't happen to a better person right like if anybody deserves it it's that guy 100 percent. and i you know i i don't necessarily like the fact that we went that route you know like we're talking about how great he is and then and then to put it into perspective like we're not wrong but it is it's a very much a moment to celebrate steph and and i don't think we're trying to tear him down in any in any way i think we're just looking at the bigger picture here because it has been brought up in conversations and on you know social media that he could be considered the greatest player of all time i think while it's he's not while he's not that he's still amazing and i it's still something that i really i'm i'm going to grow up telling my children that i watched this guy do the most amazing things on the basketball court that will probably never be replicated. So I'll, I'll finish it with that. And he's an amazing player. I'm just, I'm thankful that I got to watch him. And no, I, and I think, I, you know what, Drew, I think we're being too nice though. This isn't, this isn't fair to guys like LeBron though, because <laughs> it's not because LeBron wins a championship. They're like, well, it's not six. You know what I mean? And then LeBron does something amazing and it's like, well, you know, Mike never lost in the finals. And it's like, okay, dude, well, what the fuck? There has to be like, come on. If, if we have to give some, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think it's fair. So if you, if you have an honest argument to, to why Steph Curry is the greatest player of all time, I'd love to hear it, but I think it's very fair to put things in perspective, you know, and I think that's just what it is. So we're both in agreement. The guy is the greatest shooter of all time. Anybody that tells you different is probably a Homer somewhere else. Um, so anyways, it is what it is. I wanted to do something really quick. The Pelicans said Zion's going to be out another four to six weeks. And at this point, Drew, I'm, I, I'm, I'm over it. I just think they should shut him down. There's absolutely no reason to bring him back right now. Um, I don't want to rush it. There was a stat uh, comparing him and Greg Oden the first three seasons of their career. I think it was it was 89 for, for Zion and 85 for Oden. And which is pretty telling. And if his, you know, if you want to take notes from history, let's just shut it down and not rush anybody back. You're not winning anything this year. You're barely selling tickets there as it is. Uh, and we've all had our comments about Zion and, and the way he looks and whatnot. I just want this kid healthy. I want him healthy. I want him to come in at the, at the proper weight. And I want to watch him play basketball. And I don't want to see Zion rushed play basketball. I, I just think that if we rush this guy back in six weeks, which they'll probably push back again after six weeks, because six weeks takes us you know, into all-star break almost or close to it. Um, what do you think about that? I, I just I think they should cancel it. Yeah, I think this is a good year to be bad. Uh, just, just very plainly from a from a team perspective, this next draft has some pretty pretty major players coming in, uh, with the likes of Paolo Bancaro from from Duke and and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, as well as a litany of other players that I think are in the G League and and playing in college right now. So, uh, from that perspective, I don't know why the Pelicans would want to bring him back at all this year. Uh, sure, you want to get him healthy as fast as possible, and you definitely want to see him be able to play basketball as quick as possible. Uh, but there should be no rush on this, and I I don't think he should play this year unless he is 100%. And then even then, it should be on a minutes restriction because you don't want him to re-injure anything or get injured again. Um, and certainly all of that should happen uh, after he reaches the weight at which 
the entire organization feels comfortable getting him out on the floor. So not only does the foot have to heal, but then he has to get into shape and then you can start going, all right, maybe we'll play him 20 minutes a game. And even then, I don't know if it's worth the risk. Maybe just start from scratch next year. And again, the like the silver lining for this Pelicans team is they can be bad this year and it can actually pay off for them in the long run and they can get better through the draft. Uh, they're one of the worst teams in the NBA. That's not going to change. Uh, but if they are going to try and keep Zion and, and Brandon Ingram and some of like the other pieces that they're like clearly testing out right now, they got a good rookie actually right now. Their, their rookie Herb Jones is, is looking really solid and is probably going to make uh, one of the first two rookie teams this year. So like can play D, forward, there's building blocks. He's a good player. I yeah, mean, he's, he's just good. like flat out. The guy's a good basketball player. And so, like, I don't think there's a really a reason for them to try and rush him back uh, or even play him at all this year, because if you're gunning for that number one or two draft pick like they should be, uh, you know, it might suit him to leave him on the shelf for this year and just have him roll out fully healthy next year. It's not like they're going to sell any more tickets because they lied to their fan base time and time again this season about when they're going to see Zion and he's still not even close to putting on a jersey. Uh, but just like you, man, I, I, I want I, I loved watching him play. When I got to watch him play at Duke, it was it was amazing. It, it, it you know in the way that I'm amazed by what Steph Curry can do, I am amazed by what Zion Williamson can do with just his sheer athleticism. Uh, and he's actually, I mean, overall, I would say he's quite a good basketball player. Like he kind of knows when to make a good pass. Uh, he certainly knows uh, when to when to use that athleticism at the right time. Um, and I think, you know, overall what he can do if he's not on the floor is, is continue to improve his jump shot, which we know the more he gets better at that, the better he will be and the more dominant he can be uh, on the floor. But there's no reason to do that this year. I'm, I'm bummed out because I wanted to see him. Uh, but uh, there, there was one other stat out there, like the Greg Oden stat that you brought up, which is really like I think it's really enlightening to see the comparisons between the two where they both only played 85 and 89 games through the first three uh, seasons of their careers Joel Embiid he's the outlier on that because for the first three games of his career he only played 31 games so there is still a pathway for this to work and and Joel Embiid I believe if my memory serves had a foot issue or a, you know a lower leg issue going into the draft out of Kansas which was a big kind of a red flag but he he's been able to even though he's been injured constantly in his career he's still been able to improve to the point where he's potentially an MVP candidate last year and, uh, you know, maybe moving forward, even cra cracking into that top five to top six uh, MVP consideration. So there is definitely something to go. Hey, if, Zion, if, if Embiid started that way, look at him now. Maybe there's still a pathway for Zion to do that same thing. But that Greg Oden thing is also a very realistic potential outcome as well. Really quick. Uh, it was reported today. We talked about it last week, but I guess uh, Sabonis definitely wants out of Indiana. Where do you think he's going to land? I, you know, we gave our thoughts on that last week, but do you think he'll be a pacer at the end of this week? Oh, by the end of this week is going to be tough. There's so many COVID and injury related stuff. I don't see too many trades happening right now. Just because there hasn't been one, right? There hasn't been one yet. Correct. There has not been one. And I just think most teams are just like kind of scrambling to make sure they have enough guys to put in jerseys to get on the floor. I don't know if they're, you know, giving enough time to potential of, of trading. But I did 
you know, I did go into trying to figure out what other teams that Sabonis could go to. I mean, the majority of what we talked about on the last podcast was the Blazers and Philly. And then I brought up like uh, Toronto, I think. But there, there are quite a few teams because Sabonis is getting paid a reasonable price tag right now. What is he's, it? He's making like eight, uh, 19 and, and Turner's making 18 a year. Both of them are in very reasonable price ranges. So the first one that I fucked around with was the Hawks. And they can trade Danilo Gallinari straight up for, for Sabonis. And I think that's something that maybe both teams could benefit from. I mean, then you can keep Miles Turner if you're the Pacers. Just keep Turner, play with uh, Gallo, play with Lavert and Brogdon, and just see what that looks like. And it just provides more spacing. It's not so clogged up. And you're not giving away your defensive stopper and your rim protector in Miles Turner. So that's number one. The second one is the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies would flourish with Sabonis as their center and then Jaron Jackson playing alongside. So they can actually trade Steven Adams straight up for, for Sabonis and nothing else needs to be involved. Yeah, that, that can that, be done. It, that doesn't work for the Pacers, though. It, it, I agree. I agree. This, these are not – I'm just throwing out potential destinations. Okay. I think the Pacers are going to be tough to find something that, that really intrigues them. But I'm just throwing out the guys that – the teams that could use Sabonis and the ways that they could potentially get there. I don't think that they would want Steven Adams in the Pacers, but what that would do is potentially give them some more cap space because Steven Adams contract is expiring. So it would look to next year and and maybe they can snag a free agent. The one that I think that is potentially the most intriguing, at least from Indiana's perspective though, is with the Kings. Sacramento would give up Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley. And the, uh, the Kings would get Sabonis and TJ Warren. Now, that one to me, of the ones that I came up with... That could work. ...seems to be the one that would work the best for potentially both teams. Um, and, you know, maybe the Kings don't want to give up Harrison Barnes. The money also works for Buddy Heald. So if you don't want to give up Harrison Barnes, if you're the Kings, maybe you float Buddy Heald and then you get Sabonis in there. Um, you know, Rashawn Holmes is a very good player and they just paid him a lot of money. So maybe that deads that and he, they don't want Sabonis or they don't think those two guys can exist. Uh, but, you know, you might be able to wedge Rashawn Holmes into that deal going back to Indiana. So there's just I think the, the Kings have some stuff where, where it could work very easily um, if they wanted to go that route for Sabonis or Turner. As I said, both guys are making virtually the same amount of money. So if a team is interested in one and they have the money to, to make it happen with one of them, they have the money to make it happen with, with uh, the other as well. Yeah, I like the package of, of Heald and, and Bagley. That can g- give a good return. And I think Sabonis would be – I mean, it wouldn't be ideal for Sabonis to be in Sacramento, but Sacramento would probably love to have him. They need kind of that – all-star superstar kind of guy up there. I still uh, have pipe dreams of the, of Portland. I think that would be the best. And then directly after our podcast last week, Portland came out and said, there's no way we're trading Dame Lillard after our Dame Lillard talk, but who knows? We don't, what do we know? I don't know, but I think, I think something will be done by Christmas. That's, that's when I think things are going to be done. They have Indiana has so many pieces that they can just, you know, play that checkers game and figure out what's what's the best fit for them. I like what you said about Harrison Barnes, though, too. I like yeah. that a lot. I just think the Pacers need to get a good haul for Sabonis. Definitely. The only other place that I was thinking of that is kind of outlandish, and I don't necessarily know if they would want to do it, is the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors have enough assets in the, you know, in the Wiseman piece as well as some of their other young players. Uh, I don't think the Warriors want to move Wiggins. So Wiggins, in my opinion, would not be included in that. 
uh, unless they're very confident in either Levert or TJ Warren, which I don't think you could possibly be very confident in either of those guys. Uh, but the Warriors do have something for if they wanted to bring in Sabonis or if they wanted to bring in Miles Turner, just to shore up that center position, because in the Western Conference, for them to make the run that they want to make, they're going to have to go through Aiton and Jokic and probably Anthony Davis. And, you know, the list is long of the big centers that they might have to go through, and they don't really have that, including Rudy Gobert, for instance. Um, so the Warriors, for what they've built there, they have some space and they have some assets to make a trade, whether it's for Turner, Sabonis, or anybody, really, anyone that they deem necessary to help them win a championship. I think they might pull the trigger on something like that. I don't expect it because they're doing so well right now, but it's potential because we know Looney's the weak, the weak spot in that, uh, in that Warriors lineup. It's wild how everything's flipped for Wiggins, right? He was been involved in every single trade talk. Wiggins and Wiseman for somebody, right? right? And now it's like he's untradeable. But they said today that Clay won't be back by Christmas, but I'm thinking, you know, January is when it's going to happen. Looks like he's been running full practices, looks really good. The Warriors are only going to get better. I don't think if it ain't broke, don't fix it right now, you know? Like let it be what it is. Clay's going to need 10-15 games to get his legs under him and Wiggins is still going to have to produce and put up the buckets that he's been doing. I think the Golden State Warriors fans have been pleased with Wiggins. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a really good look. Final thoughts, Drew? Well, you know, Clips, I, uh, I wanted to call back to a couple of the final thoughts that we had over the last few weeks because I think we have some results from some of those, uh, those final flotated questions, ruminations that I have on this podcast, <laughs> uh, the first of which is – I think we have a handle on our guy, Brian Seaman's height, the, the, the Clippers broadcaster. Do we, do we have a handle on this? We do our boy air mag, my homie, big homie air mag clip set. What's good. It's funny because he sent me a picture of his homie taking a picture with Brian Seaman. Finally, we get to see Seaman standing up, not sitting down. Because right. like, if you guys haven't heard the show, we can't tell. Mike Fratello is 5'3", and when sitting down <laughs> with Seaman, they're eye to eye. And then when Seaman's sitting down with Jim Jackson, who's 6'8", they're sitting eye to eye. And then he, he came out and said, Seaman mentioned, and it shocked Drew, that he dunked once. And Drew, we, we don't know how tall he is. We don't know if he's 5'7". We don't know if he's 6'4". What is the deal, right? So right. our boy Air Mag, shout out to you for finally finishing, giving us the answer. He sent a picture. It has been, it has been um, said that Brian Seaman is 5'11 to 6 feet tall. It's handled. It's done. It's still impressive for the dunk. Absolutely. I, I mean, it just confirms something that, I mean, as long as he, to be quite honest, man, I'm 6'4". I was always impressed when I was able to dunk because it means I'm getting up at least, you know, two to three feet in the air to be able to throw it down. So for a guy my size or uh, smaller to dunk, I'm always very impressed. I don't care, you know, how how athletic you look or not. But for Brian Seaman at, at just brushing at six feet, roughly, we'll just call it six feet, maybe six one even on the on the top end for him to get up and slam one down. Uh, that's sneaky athleticism from from your from your play by play guy. Seaman's starting to grow on you, isn't he? He is, man. I mean, look, I think I think him and Jim Jackson had a very weird like feeling each other out phase, but they've been around each other a lot now, and I think it's gotten a lot better. I think Seaman is a guy who likes to joke around a little bit, who clearly is a homer. It's definitely a Clipper homer. So he, I mean, every, everything he does is kind of with a, a Clipper tint on it, which I, I think always amuses me. 
Uh, it's something that Ralph Lawler was very good at as well. There was never really, uh, you know, a foul that would go against the Clippers that was not even called into question as potentially that ref might have not seen the play the right way. I, I, he is growing on me. He's not, he's not the best uh, announcer. I still think the guys on uh, uh, ESPN, Mark Jackson and, and Van Gundy are my favorites, but I, I, and Mike Breen obviously is my, definitely my favorite for the play-by-play, but he is growing on me. And I certainly like him more than the fucking Lakers announcers who have been bad since chick retired. Do you have anything else, Drew? Uh, no. Oh, I do. I, the only other one that I wanted to, to reach out uh, about was I, I, had, I had posed a question about who was more famous in New Zealand, Stephen Adams, the amazing basketball player for the Memphis Grizzlies, or Taika Watiti, the director of uh, Marvel's movies and, and so many amazing films. And it seems like New Zealand is split. Is that right, Clips? Well, Sean Bishop, or shout out to Bishop, who gets mentioned a lot on this show, ran a poll on his page, and it came out 50-50, man. So we don't, we don't have an answer to that. Um, people must have been torn. So I still think Stephen Adams is probably – I voted. I voted for Stephen Adams, and I'm not from New Zealand. So I don't even know if my vote counts or not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they removed your fraudulent vote because you are not from New Zealand – and you're just swaying, you're swaying the polls in a, in a fraudulent fashion there. That's but, what I I, you know, both are famous guys. And maybe, maybe, maybe they are neck and neck right now. Hey, my final thought is this. Has nothing to do with basketball, nothing to do with the Clippers, uh, which is shocking, I know. But I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, man. Last year was rough. I'm really looking forward to it. I think our family didn't get to be together because my sister couldn't come because of, of COVID. And I've been waiting all year for those that know me. Like I just, I love my time with my family. I don't get enough of it. So I wanted to wish everybody just a really Merry Christmas. I'm not sure that we're going to have another show before Christmas. If we can get one out on Tuesday, maybe, but I just want everybody to have a good time, have a drink for clips and drew, um, you know, enjoy being with your family be present time goes so freaking fast i cannot believe we're, we're we're just walking into 2022 where it was it was we it was 2020 15 minutes ago okay <laughs> time flies into the younger people that listen i know you know older folks always say you know time flies as you get older no man time flies it, it at the end of the day we are just a fart in the wind as far as time goes so enjoy every moment that you have with your family and your friends and just have a great time. Have a drink for, for me and Drew. Uh, we'll be doing the same for you. And let's kick ass in 2022. We're going to keep this bitch going. The train is moving. We haven't stopped. And we're going to continue this for you. So in closing, Drew, I have to do our famous, our famous uh, get out phrase, which is Merry Clipsmas and a happy Drew year. We appreciate all of you guys. Merry Christmas. Enjoy it. We'll see you next week and happy hanukkah to all the jewish fans out there it's the follow-through with clips and drew and with ghosts you know what it is you know what it is you know where you're